Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history, using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And congratulations, you have found the internet's finest podcast about mail-order music. And we always like to warm you up a little, with just a little bit of music trivia. All right, I'm going to go first today with the non-audio round for this evening's show. So we've done a couple times now albums where trivia uh, quizzes where we change an album name to make a little pun out of it it's like a dad <laughs> joke thing i'm actually kind of uh, changing it up just slightly in that i'm going to present five of these the first one's going to be just a, a standard one because i did that before i came up with the idea for the others songs two through five or questions two through five are actually billboard number one hits of the 80s okay so i'm looking to change one letter to make a a pun and they're all going to be 80s hits except one random one yeah and i'll just go ahead and do that one first okay number one a person who from birth was destined to use words and phrases so as to emphasize or suggest different meanings of the word that are alike or nearly alike in sound but different in meaning (laughs) gosh okay The words that are alike in sound, but different in meaning. That's a what, a homophone? Am I even on the right track? In a way, it's a, it's a humorous use of the word. Sort of changing a word around to Pun. make it kind of funny. There you go. Pun for life since birth. Pun time? Pun? I, I, I don't know. It is called... Born to pun. Oh, God. Nice and easy. These are all going to be very much that bad. This is not a whole lot of... Not a lot went into these. I apologize to the fans out there. (laughs) The dad dad, dad jokes is uh, song titles now. The rest of these are going to be number one Billboard hits from the 80s. Okay. The first one, pretty simple. This is Winnie the Pooh's dream. Let's see, honey, I don't know. Honey for nothing. Oh, God. (laughs) That's so stupid. All right, go ahead. All right, here's my favorite. This is a song. (laughs) So stupid. Okay, go ahead. This is a song about feline robotics, and it's considered possibly the worst song of all time, though I still think Hotel California is way below it. The only part of that that's an actual part of the clue is this is a song about feline robotics. I can just never avoid dismissing Hotel California as a real song. Let's see. Okay. So we got cat, cat android. It's just so many 80 songs. This is considered one of the worst songs ever recorded. Yeah, but that's, there's a lot, I mean, that's a, that doesn't help. There's a lot of bad songs in the 80s. I think this is a standout. Is it like a one-hit wonder song? It is not. It's a band that went through a couple different name changes, started in the late 60s. This is from the 80s. I'm only thinking Jefferson Starship. Keep going with it. Starship. We built this kitty? We built this kitty. <laughs> what does the robotics have to do? Oh, I guess we built this kitty. Okay, you I got it. You built it. Oh, my uh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, that is that is a bad song. Oh, yeah, right? It's not as bad as Hotel California. Nothing is. The next song. This song could also be called Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry Get Committed. Mets Go Crazy? Very good. Good oh, job. Thank goodness I got one. Okay. <laughs> the last one here. <laughs> An unwanted baby after an evening of drinking, or as the result of an evening of drinking, would be another name for this song. Unwanted baby. I don't think I'm going to get this one. Sweet Child of Wine. 
that one. <laughs> we built this kid. He's pretty good, though. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All it right. was not my find. Not my finest quiz. <laughs> well, my my quiz is pretty bad too. So we got that going for us. All right. So I've got the audio quiz today, and your task is simple. I'm gonna name. I've got play five songs. Tell me the name of the artist and the name of the song if you can. And there is a theme that holds them together, and it is super, super hard. So I will say, think of the albums and see if you can guess the theme. All right, here we go. Track one. Like it was lit from within, like a poorly assembled electrical ball is Track three. There is books of the Lisbon Club, and after two months, this dance a familiar haunch, and it's that same slouch. Track four. Track five. You feel like some bad story in yesterday's news. Now, I will say, as a little hint, track three is the single version. There's no way you would know that from that clip, but track three is the single version, so it might have popped up on a compilation. I think I know four of the five bands, but maybe only two of the songs. Yeah. If you can get the the band and, uh, like I said, the album will help you with the theme. Okay. I will... uh ponder on it while we go on with the show yeah it's it this one's this one's kind of tough i felt kind of bad about this one but you don't every every show you have like the most difficult quizzes and i bomb them and then the next show you say this one's going to be a little harder than that (laughs) yeah like like the last one was a gimme when i went over 10 born to pun you know what are you gonna do i think it's time for turntable talk Everybody's talking at me I don't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind In the course of researching 20th century music history like we've been doing, there are a couple themes that show up time and time again. The first of these is that the fortunate will do whatever they can to make as much money as they can from the less fortunate. Another is that there is a much higher rate of mental health issues in creative people than there seems to be in other areas of society. It's basically what's been called the tortured artist. This is not simply anecdotal. There is empirical evidence that this is actually the case, and it's explained why by neuroscientist Nancy Anderson. And she says... When the associations flying through the brain self-organize to form a new idea, the result is creativity. But if they either fail to self-organize or they self-organize to create an erroneous idea, the result is psychosis. Sometimes both occur in the same person, and that result is a creative person who is also psychotic. How do either of these two things relate to the general goofiness of today's topic, which is song poems? Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that here. Starting over a hundred years ago, ads would appear in small local newspapers and tabloids, which is where they still appear today. The kind of newspaper you'd find in a grocery store or in the lobbies of libraries. And the ads would say things like, Liberace, one of the best-known talents in show business, says song poems are needed. Send your poems to me for free examination. And then the address that they would list to have these sent to would be George Liberace Songsmiths Incorporated. Another ad would read, 
Poems needed for songs. Poems may earn you money. Though vague, the implication of these ads is clearly that people can make money from their terrible poetry. There are many companies that work in this industry even today. These companies know that many people want to be famous, and they circle them like carrion. Not to mix metaphors, but people in this industry even pridefully refer to themselves as song sharks. So here's the process. First, a poem is submitted to the company listed in the ad. Next, said poet receives back literature about the burgeoning song poem industry, along with brochures and success stories and just general encouragement. There's also an acceptance letter included for the poem, which helps to build up confidence and hope and maybe even sparks cartoonish dollar signs in the poet's eyeballs. Then, of course, there's a request for money snuck in with all of this. This isn't a payment, however. No, no, no. This is an investment. A nominal fee and only a small percentage of, the, of what the song company is also allegedly putting in, you know, to cover operational costs, band and production costs, and marketing. This is usually somewhere between $200 and $400, but it is seed money that is surely to pay off huge dividends. So if the aspiring poet is hoodwinked enough to continue, what they will do is fill out an application which allows them to select the genre of music they most like, and sometimes even the format, which would be a 45 or a cassette or a CD. From there, they wait for all their dreams to come true. Once the money, in full, has been received, the poem is sent off to musicians who typically record the poem in one expedient take. Professional song poem musicians typically record up to 12 songs per hour. The freshly minted songs are then sent back in the requested format, and the company moves on to a new dupe. There is, of course, no marketing for the song. There's also no legitimate chance for fame or fortune. That is, unless you count, cult status. The poems are, as you can probably guess, pretty terrible. But sometimes, when they're combined with just the right musicians and or interpreters, the result can be quite magical. Here's a perfect example from a song called Beat of the Traps. The beat! The very heart, the place where rhythm has its start. Another one of the appeals of the song poem genre is the are the lyrics themselves, which are often unpredictable in ways never before imagined. For a taste of that, here's one of our current favorites, and it's called Nonviolent Taekwondo Troopers. Thank Jehovah for Kung Fu Bicycles and Priscilla Presley. A cat is trapped in a tree. Let's go, I tell the automated Noticing now how we're taking our first uphill climb from the depressing world of con artists scamming people and mental instability and into the absurdity of the songs themselves. While financially taking advantage of artists is nothing new for listeners of this podcast, the business owners of this song poem hustle seem to be taking special aim at people who probably don't have the money or sense to stay away. And as scummy as this practice was and still is, it provides another avenue for common folk to get music made, sort of like private press records for lazy people. So for now, let's have some fun talking about and listening to clips of these often wonderful messes. Through the decades, the song poem industry has produced quite a few cult status stars. Almost every one of these poets is being completely sincere, believing that their poems and subsequent songs are brilliant. And frankly, some of them are, but not in the way that they intended. 
Here is one of the most beloved stars of song poems, William Howard Arpaia, with his song, Listen, Mr. Hat. War and peace and love and what is more, time and kind and space and life's big roar, they all make a dent in where you're at. Listen, Mr. Hat. Taxes, pain and strife and all the rest Work and health and food and your small nest How they make you swing when you're at bat Listen, Mr. Hat Another of the many wonderful songs you'll hear about pretty early on if you start spending any of your lonely nights trolling YouTube like I have for, for these gems uh, is called Convertibles and Headbands a convertible and a headband makes the scene. A convertible and a headband is all I need. Don't need to worry. Don't need to fret. What more do you want? You lucky. I saw these two cats trying to hitch a ride. We could play clips like these for the rest of the show and never tire of it and never run out of great material for you. So, well, we're going to. There are many topical events that the poems focus on often. Presidents, for example. And here are three clips that we find especially poignant. The first is by Gene Marshall, and it's called Jimmy Carter Says Yes. Can our government be competent? Jimmy Carter says yes. Jimmy Carter says yes Can our government be honest? Jimmy Carter says yes Jimmy Carter says yes Can our government be decent and open? That right there could be, very well be the best one we've ever heard. Just to make sure we aren't too partisan, the second of these songs is to celebrate Richard Nixon, and it's by the MSR Singers. It has sort of a Leonard Nimoy hammer of justice kind of feel to it. God in his infinite wisdom put Richard Nixon on this earth to bring to us his heritage, one of priceless worth. His heritage is from heaven. And the magic from above The rapture of music and melody Of culture and of love The last clip we're going to go into that's presidential is clearly going to be about John F. Kennedy. This one is called John F. Kennedy Was Called Away, which, as far as tributes to him go, is probably preferable to the misfit song Bullet. He tried so hard to give each and every one a start. He tried to make the rich man see. If it wasn't for the poor man, how could we eat in Dallas out in the street? Someone wanted to see him defeated. He saw that there's really no use because there's nothing anyone wanted to do. There's also a cornucopia of holiday songs that should become part of everybody's tradition. Here's a song called Season's Greetings.
here's just a sample from the most well-known song poem holiday song called Santa Claus Goes Modern. Oh, and cold he sure can stand. He lights so easy on the chimney tops and delivers gifts at every stop. Girls and boys, he gives handy toys. And mom and dad, he gives a Christmas joy. Oh, 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 here it comes, good old Santa. Oh, 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 here it comes, good old Santa. Santa's a wise old man. The snow and the cold, he sure can stand. That old sleigh bell, he took along to chime it out. The old Christmas song. Lyrically, song poems are often absurd or full of malaprops or non-sequiturs. And Cursary listens to some of the most recent compilations that have been produced will leave you with many head-scratching moments and possibly a few rare, mind-blowing ones. So we went ahead and, just as a treat for our listeners, we went ahead and pulled out some of our favorite lines. I'm going to try to get through this with a straight face. It makes me warm and anti-freezing. <laughs> It makes me want to go get squeezed. Oh, shit. Okay. It makes me warm and anti-freezy. Makes me want to hug and squeezy. Do you now love me or do you not? (laughs) He told me once, but I just forgot. All right, let me do that one. Do you now love me or do you not? You told me once, but I just forgot. (laughs) (laughs) love goes around in circles (laughs) that line isn't even funny Uh, no but the next one was just already (laughs) popped in my head love goes around in circles takes in all the animals and turtles what a time we do have until we are blue and purple true love is like a fruitcake it's much better when it's old my hand wrote this letter but my heart held the pen I got the Jimmy Carter blues, and I don't drink no booze. And, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention probably the all-time most well-known song poem, Blind Man's Penis. Let's play a little clip of this gym, shall we? I got high last night on LSD. My mind was beautiful, and I was free. Warts love my nipples because they are pink. Vomit on me, baby, yeah, yeah, yeah. A blind man's penis is a wreck because he is blind. It's a wreck because he is blind. A blind man's penis is a wreck because he's blind. It's a wreck. That song is a little different than most in that it's one of the few that was written intentionally as a terrible poem just to see if it would be accepted or rejected by the song poem company. Naturally, it was accepted. A bona fide story of lyrical straw being spun into sonic gold. When poems would come back into the company, they would be sent to the studio where they would be performed almost immediately, as we mentioned before, one tape. The reason for this isn't only because they wanted to cut costs and get through as many of these as they quick, as quickly as they possibly could. According to the artists, almost all of whom seemed to remain anonymous, it was very hard to get through these. If they read the poems ahead of time, they wouldn't be able to make it through the performance, as you just heard Ryan trying to. One of the musicians says that she had to force herself to think very sad thoughts before she could read the poems at all. One of the more well-known singers of song poems is a guy named Gene Merlino, or if you're a collector, he's also known as John Muir. He's the so-called king of the demo singers and once recorded over 80 songs in four hours, and he's sang on thousands of demos. Merlino saved the sheet music for some of these weirder ones that he recorded. The lyrics don't often rhyme, obviously, as you heard, but they are always heartfelt. And he says... Most of these are written from people's own experiences. For instance, so here we're going to read a couple of these. The Pimple Song. I scrub my face until it's sore. 
I've tried each salve in the whole drug store, and still I can't improve my darn complexion. I think I'll join a monastery and never, never, ever marry and live a lonely life without affection. And then there's another one of his collected oddities, and it's called the Miracle Pill. There are pills so you can have babies, and pills so you can't have babies. But where's the pill for the miracle of love? Merlino says, I enjoyed doing demos. I wasn't doing it for the money. And besides, it really sharpened the reading skills. It was always a challenge to try to get through an entire session, three or four hours, without making any mistakes. It was tough. One song that he found particularly hard to finish was a song from about 1962, and he says, I can even sing it right now. In a Chinese garden, during the Feast of Lanterns, someone offered a cup of tea. My heart went thump to thump each time. She'd drop a lump. He says when he got to the part about she'd drop a lump, he had to grit his teeth all the way through it. <laughs> Golly. Playing clips like these could go on for hours, and we certainly love to do that, and we kind of have been doing that on our own for weeks, but we, we need to bring it back down a little and talk about a man named Rod Keith. We talked at the beginning about mental health issues and artists. The reason that we did this is because Rod Keith. Keith is the absolute king of the song poem industry. He was a mad musical genius, but was never focused enough to work on much of his own material. He could take a song poem and transform it into something worth hearing in ways that no one else could imagine. Unlike most song poem hired gun musicians, he didn't use genre templates and he experimented a lot with sound. He used a Mellotron often as his whole band. He was basically Quintron 30 years early. Many of the songs we've played clips from are Rod Keith performed. Keith was, however, not well mentally. He had a serious drug problem and also probably suffered from depression and schizophrenia. He could be difficult to be around at times, but was also loved by many and incredibly charming when he wanted to be. On December 15th of 74, at the age of 37, Rod Keith took heavy doses of PCP and either jumped or fell to his death from an overpass on the Hollywood freeway. It is not known if it was intentional suicide or if it was if he was on so much PCP that maybe he thought he could fly. Either way, his story, like so many others in the music realm, is incredibly sad. He could have legitimately been a success as an artist outside of song poems, but never put it together. We're lucky, though, that we have many of his compositions and can hear many of the oddities that sprang from his head, along with the oddities that are the poems themselves. The two complement themselves perfectly. The song poems have a cult following, uh, and there are record collectors who look for these records. They're generally not very expensive. You can maybe find them at Goodwill. The genre itself has gained some exposure over the past couple decades because of bands like John Zorn and Tom Artolino of NRBQ, and he has helped put together a lot of the compilations, uh, one of the ones that I, I was able to get. WFMU has also helped by featuring many of these songs throughout the years. They love them. Uh, they have a lot of these available for download, too, from their site. There was also a PBS documentary in 2003 called Off the Charts. And in that documentary, they talked to a lot of the poets, and they talked to people who actually made the music. It's really worth finding if you're able to find it. Uh, you can find a clip. I think you can find the full movie on YouTube, but it looks kind of weird. You kind of want to find a real copy if possible. And if you want to learn more about the song poem industry, there is an online resource that has been absolutely invaluable to this episode. It's called the American Song Poem Music Archives, and we're going to put a link up to it on our in the, um, in the show notes and on the Facebook page. It hasn't been updated for 15 years, and it's still unbelievable. It, it has a staggering amount of information about the song poem music industry, about the history of song poems. It has kind of biographical information about some of the biggest people in the industry, whether they're poets or singers or recorders. It has pictures of ads and it has correspondence between company and poets. It's got just about anything you would ever want to see about this business. Once you get into it, it just sort of, it could really take control of your day or several days. In fact, you may get fired if you do it while you're working. There are also a few compilations available. I mentioned that Tom Artolino of NRBQ has made a few. A lot of these compilations are available as MP3s or CDs. There's one that I found called Beat of the Traps. 
obviously is named after the song we played first today. And that one's on vinyl. There are a lot of downloads. I think there are six volumes of downloads available from the WFMU site. There are CDs you can buy on Amazon, or I think that they have digital versions or CD versions. And they're really worth getting a couple of them. They're almost all of these songs. If you go look at the track list, you can find them on YouTube. And the ones that somebody took the time to put on YouTube are worth hearing. They're great. This turntable talk is sort of, I sort of feel like it's the end of a trilogy where we started with private press a while ago and then we moved into the library music as the second part and now we're finishing up with song poems and each of these you know styles of music it's just it seems like bottomless there's just so much to dig through and the crazy thing is that there's probably a lot that hasn't been discovered or put out there yet because, you know, there's just stacks and stacks of this music, song poems or private press or, or library music. And it just seems like, you know, it's, it's fun because you could still go out and find something new. I think these would be even harder to find because a lot of these just went back to the poet and they never did anything with them. So they're sitting in a in an attic or a basement somewhere and somebody nobody even knows that that was created they were burning through so many of these in those companies as sharks that they probably didn't keep a whole lot of records well that, that's what i was going to ask is like did the companies keep a copy of them too how do people find these in general like it seems like there would only be just maybe i know they did some compilations and stuff but just what was sent back to the artist and maybe what the company kept so what the artist got back we mentioned this earlier they would get Generally, they would get a copy of their song either on 45 CD or whatever. But one of the other options they would have is to have sent to them a compilation, which would then have 15 songs. So it would be one of theirs and then 14 other people. And those are the ones that I think have maybe gotten out. I don't have a ton of information about that. I didn't see it on that the website I mentioned and it wasn't in the documentary as far as how these how these songs made it out into the wild. Right, right. I mean, they all seem so incredibly rare. Did you see anything, as I was watching the documentary, as we were kind of researching to talk about this, about people who kind of understand that this is a scam, or maybe it's not going to lead to fame or fortune, but they still kind of get addicted to having their poems be set to music it's sort of like they're they're it's like a stockholm syndrome with these companies that they <laughs> they understand that this is not these people aren't looking out for them but they still just need to have these poems made into music it was in the documentary where they had the one there was one poet who would it was actually going out and performing these on stage around iowa as real songs and i think he was convinced that they were a big deal like, he believed the literature that came back to him. And then there was probably the, the sweetest person in there, the person who did the Taekwondo troopers that we played earlier on. He has a lot of really bizarre songs. And hearing him speak and seeing him with his grandmother, it's very clear that he is somewhere on the spectrum. He's a very, very sweet person. I don't think he has any idea of fame or anything. He just has these poems that he writes down and he loves having the recordings come back it's like the silver lining around the cloud that is this industry seeing somebody like that actually kind of warms your heart that he's getting back things that he loves yeah and i mean i think there i mean you know there's some value in something that you have a part in be turned into a song you know especially if you i mean i you know i could see why people would really enjoy that so if we had a uh, angel investor what we could do is write a, a silly poem about about the podcast and send it to like ten of these different companies and <laughs> see which one see how they all send the same poem to the ten different companies see what they come back with how close they are which one we like which ones are weird and then put them all on a compilation and say okay this is sort of like a comparison type thing all right well that was yeah that was something else there's there's a lot of weird people out there all right I think it's time to play some songs. I'm going to start us out today. Uh, this is a holdover from um, our private press obsession of uh, several months ago. But the lyrics of this song, I think, kind of fit perfectly into the song poem category because they're strange and weird and wonderful. 
So this song is Where Will We Be Tomorrow by a guy named Eddie Callahan. Sometimes I just can't even understand where I am. You must. I mean, what do you mean, what am I doing here? I don't know. You must. But I know what I want to do, I think. I know I'm going to get there. You hope. Who am I? Who are you? What was I supposed to do? Where will I be? Where will you be tomorrow? You're too much, and he's so cool. And do you think that I'm a fool? Where will you be? Where will we be tomorrow? I mean, I know I am. I don't know, you know? I know you know. I think. You know? I think. You know? I think. I think. You know? Who am I? Who are you? What was I supposed to do? Where will I be? Where will you be tomorrow? And then, then you know, if... If everybody gets together you know, and gets together, I think that wow, there we I have was. really a. Oh, if there I was again. I think that if everybody could you listen, listen. Us, I know we could. It'd be gotta try. Oh, who no. are you? Who am I? Who are Callahan's 1976 album False Ego starts off with with questions, deep, deep questions. So uh, this song, Where Will We Be Tomorrow, is just a unusual uh, lyrical experience, at least at least it is to me. So Eddie Callahan was a Hare Krishna mystic and a possessor of a beautiful golden voice and apparently some strange synth. And so he he created this weirdo pop dynamic in the song. It's kind of got a less west coast west coast laid back feel, but also a kind of a strange chugging speed as his questioning gets progressively more pressing. And then the he kind of loses control of the phasing switch, and it just goes all all crazy as the song revs to to the end, which it sort of borders on new wave there for a second but then at the end it just kind of leaves you floating in an echo chamber questioning your own existence i don't have a lot about him you know he's a private press guy the whole album is really good but this song is just my favorite i was just thinking it's it's kind of amazing what gets accomplished when when no one is listening when when you're not worried about anybody but yourself it's funny when we were doing those private press episodes I was so obsessed with all of these, and now it's been a few months that we've sort of stepped back. That Eddie Callahan album is still 
awesome. It's still one of the ones I've listened to. I go out of my way to listen to that. It's a great, great record. It's solid all the way. And this song is just, it's, I mean, it's a really strange pop song. But it, it wouldn't have, it's so good, it wouldn't have surprised me if it made in a different world where he was popular, if it would have made like a, you know, a top charts billboard type thing. The guitar's great, his singing's great, but it's also weird enough where I could see why nobody would ever touch it either. So, great song. My first song today is called Right Track, and it's by Billy Butler. Butler with his song Right Track. That was from 1966 on OK Records. It appeared as the title track on his album Right Track and also as a single. And it's one of the greatest Northern Song Soul uh, Northern Soul songs you'll ever hear. And if you go to any bars that have a Northern Soul song night, you're probably going to hear it. It's absolutely wonderful. There's nothing there's nothing down about it. It is up from the beginning all the way through. The only thing bad about it is it isn't long enough. Billy Butler was brothers with Jerry Butler, who had a much more prolific career, but he was never as good as anything like Right Track. There's not a whole lot about Billy Butler. I know when he started out, he had some records. He's from Chicago. He had some of his songs were produced by Curtis Mayfield, which is pretty cool. And he was in a few bands. And then eventually he just sort of faded away where he ended up like writing some songs for people like Major Lance and Gene Chandler and his brother. But then not much, not much really else after that. I don't know whether what exactly happened to him. Be a good thing to look up. He's not that far away. He's from Chicago and he passed away in Chicago and he died in 2015. And that's, again, Billy Butler with Right Track. The next song I have is one that you probably all know, or at least you know who this is. This is Lee Hazelwood with Pray Them Bars Away. Down and twenty one to blow, ten 
thousand more breakfasts to go. Fourteen million seconds of living this away, and I guess it's time I started to pray them bars away. I wonder what you're doing since I don't see you none. Are you still a doing all them rotten things we done? If you've got some spare time, why don't you learn to pray? Maybe you can help me pray them bars away. Remember old Red Barker? He checked out last night. He still owed him 18 years. It serves the devil's right. He checked out in a casket. He'd been 62 today. I heard that he went crazy trying to pray them bars away. Sometimes I miss the women and miss them all I do. Sometimes I miss the whiskey and I miss the good times too. Sometimes I miss my mama. I saw her Christmas day, but I never miss a time to pray them bars away. I should be thankful for everything I've got So thank you for the rock walls and the brave bulls, thanks a lot And thank you for the good job at 20 cents a day Thank you for the break time to pray them bars away Lee Hazelwood with Pray Them Bars Away from 1970 on LHI Records, Lee Hazelwood Industries. One of the records he made when he was kind of running away from America or just getting away from America and he was living in Sweden. And it also came at the same time as a Swedish television special called Cowboy in Sweden, which is the name of the album the song is on. That special, if you ever get a chance to see it, I think it comes, it might come with the reissue of it you can correct me if i'm wrong on that the light in the attic reissue of i this think album. the deluxe edition may have the cd with it okay i'll have to look i have the reissue the reissue is really nice and it's available which is great there was a reissue that came out on what was it smells like records yep around 2000 but that went out of print pretty quick was that lee was it lee ronaldo's Sonic Youth, yeah. Yeah, the, his record label. He did. They did a reissue of Cowboy in Sweden, 13, and... Requiem from Almost Lady. Yes, yes. Those three albums are perfect. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, this the Lee Hazelwood movie special, or TV special in Sweden, was... I can't imagine what it was like to be a Scandinavian watching this. You might not even know who Lee Hazelwood is. And here's this guy pretending to be this American yokel walking around goofing on the Swedes. I don't know how that was received at all. But the album itself is is perfect. There's just nothing wrong with it. And Pray Them Bars Away is my favorite song on the album. I love everything about it. That album is his pinnacle, in my opinion. It may not be my favorite, but it is probably inarguably his best. I think so, too. I was waiting for years for, for Light in the Attic to reissue that. Because I knew they had the rights to it, but they'd been doing about one album a year, and so I'd waited for that one, and finally they did it. So I got, you know, like I think I got it on the, the Swedish blue <laughs> colored vinyl. It's sound, it sounds great. I have the original, fortunately, somehow, and I still wanted the reissue just because Light in the Attic does such a great job. Yeah, it sounds, sounds tremendous. Uh, and speaking of reissues... Uh, this next song is uh, on a reissue. It is a song by a band called The Action, and the song is called Brain. Take your brain.
if there ever was a band that was poised to make it big, it was the action. They had a, a giant following in the mod scene with, you know, the Small Faces and the Who were kind of their contemporary, contemporaries. And they were the only other band besides that other band that was backed and signed by George Martin. So they were right in the sweet spot where they should have been famous. They were the right blend of pre-psychedelia and blue-eyed soul and garage rock in the mid to late 60s. And, and most of all, they were just really, really good. But it just didn't happen. They just never hit it. It's, it's very crazy. And so they never got an album out. But what they did do was record um, some demo sketches for George Martin in 67. And then uh, after they did that, the band broke up. The tapes were shelved because Martin didn't want to put out this unfinished album by a band who had never really broke big. He didn't think it was worth it. But the songs were eventually collected and released on a set called uh, Rolled Gold. And they're amazing. I mean, the term Lost Classic gets thrown around a lot, especially by me. on this podcast but the label really fits this this record it's hard to see how this wouldn't have been a transformative record along the lines of ogden's nut gonna flake or the stone's flowers or even even revolver and this song brain is my favorite on the set it's got those great wah-wah flourishes and it's got this amazing anguished voice and just crescendoing verses and freak beat drums that sound like they're just somehow barely holding it all together. It's, it's, it's like a perfect pop song, and it does it all without having a chorus. It's just astounding to me. So uh, if you get a chance, check out Rolled Gold. The whole album is fantastic, and by a band called The Action. I got it on a reissue that I think came out earlier this year on a German label called Geroshin Records. I don't know. I just found it, so... I was excited, speaking of being excited about reissues, I was excited to see that one got reissued. I think that they're sort of lucky, having worked with George George Martin, that he didn't send Mal Evans their way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh, they, uh, they just skirted the curse just a little bit. Uh, and that's it for the song part of our show. So all we have left is to settle up with the audio trivia. So I'm going to go ahead and play it one more time for everybody. Remember, uh, five songs, uh, artist and title, if you can give it to me, and there's a theme that holds them all together, and the clue I gave is the theme has to do with the actual album that these songs come off. So here we go. Track one. Like it was lit from within, like a poorly assembled electrical ball is Track three. Here is books of the Lisbon Club, and after two months, this dance a familiar haunch, and it's that same slouch. Track four. Track five. You feel like some bad story in yesterday's news. All right, Joe. Uh, you have uh, some guesses? Okay. Here's what I have. Okay. I'm not sure about the theme. But I am pretty sure about the, at least at, for four of the artists. Number one is Liz Fair with Strapper on Guy. Correct. Number two is the Brian Jonestown Massacre, but I have no idea what the song title is. It's like, uh, I don't actually know how to say it. Anamona, Anamone, I don't know. A-N-E-M-O-N-E. Anemone? Anemone? Like the sea thing? I don't know. I'm just guessing. I haven't seen the word. I I wasn't paying attention when you were spelling it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wasn't listening to you for a little while there. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're really good at that. <laughs> Anyways, Brian Jones Towns Massacre, very good. Number three is The Fall with C R E E P Creep. Yep. Okay, I I don't remember what album that comes off of, so that's not really going to help a whole lot. But I have a guess on what the how that might fit in the theme. Okay. Number four is The Decemberist. Yep. And I don't have any idea what the song name is or the album that that came from. Okay. Number five, I don't know who that is. Let me go through them, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the album title that the songs come off of because it's sort of important. You're correct. Liz Fair, Stratford on Guy is from Exile on Guyville. Brian Jones House Massacre, that song came off the their album Satanic Majesty's Second Request. Fall, C-R-E-E-P. Uh, that was the single version, and it is often found on a compilation record called 50,000 Fall Fans Can't Be Wrong. The Decemberist, the song was Down by the Water, and that's off their album The King is Dead. And the last one was Nick Lowe, and the song was Endless Sleep. And that's off an album called Bowie. So, knowing all that information, you have a guess? Well, my guess before you gave me that information was that, and this was just sort of throwing it out there, that these are all related to the Rolling Stones in some way, in that Exile in Guyville is, the title itself is based on Exile on Main Street. Mm Mm-hmm. Brian Jonestown Massacre. I don't know if it's on this song, but I do think that they have a sound engineer that also worked on Sticky Fingers. Okay. The Fall um, has albums on the label Baker's Banquet. Okay. The Decemberists, I have no idea whether they have anything to do with, with the Rolling Stones, and Nick Lowe, I don't either. So I don't know at all, or I didn't know at all, until you started reading off the titles of the albums. And that really was a huge hint. Yep. Because I think from that, I never would have gotten this. But it has, I mean, all those album titles are like fake album titles of other albums. Sort fake. Of, yep, that's, that's, that's just it. You know, okay. Exile on Guyville's Exile Main Street. Satanic Majesty's Second Request, that would be uh, Satanic Majesty's Request. Those are both Rolling Stone records, which I guess was a bit of a red herring. 50,000 Fall fans can't be wrong. That has to do with that um, the Elvis record, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. King is Dead as kind of a take off the Smiths, Queen is Dead. And then the last one is the weirdest one. It's the Nick Lowe, and it was like his er- one of his early EPs, and he called it Bowie. B-O-W-I. And he said that he called it Bowie because Bowie recorded an album based off him, but forgot to put an E on his last name. Very clever, Nick. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know how anybody would know that, but I figured maybe if you got the first three, Man, no you way. might get it. So, anyways. I was just taking a stab in the dark with the Rolling Stones thing just because there were three that I thought I could find a way to tie in, but there was no way I would have gotten the others. I'm sure there's Decemberists did something about the Stones. They probably listened to them at some point. <laughs> you know? Colin Malloy one time uh, listened to Angie. You know what? I bet he's a Steel Wheels fan. <laughs> it would make a lot of sense. He likes shant- shanties and newer Rolling Stone songs. He probably got really into Metamorphos yeah. when it came yeah, out. Yeah, I bet. I don't think he's listened to so. anything before 95. That's his cutoff. He's not going to go older than that. <laughs> probably not. Anyways, if you if you got that, just send us an email. We'll um, we'll send you some uh, some merchandise, some swag really? once we get it. Okay. Once we once we create that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you if you honesty policy, you know we're we're going we're going we're going with your honor here. But if you if you got that if you got the uh, theme on that, we'll hook you up at some point in the future when we have something to hook you up with. Okay, public uh, service announcement is: please go out and buy some records, spend some money on um, shows or or records, or just you know support people who who uh, make music. We certainly do not do this show to take money from anybody's pocket. And we play these songs because we love them and we want to talk about them and inform you about them and encourage you to go out and pursue them and, and buy them. Uh, I saw a show this week. I was fortunate to get a, a couple records. And there's a new record store in Valdosta, close to where I live, which is, you know, huge news. So I was 
able to go there on the first day and pick up some really great stuff. So, oh great! You want to tell everybody what the show is that you went to? Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw the Mountain Goats. Yeah, I saw the him. I uh, saw them in Tallahassee. Wow, it was pretty cool. He played about five songs off that record, and I love that record. He played mostly newer stuff, but he was he loves performing and just is infectious and it was is my wife and i had a, a great time at the show yeah he's a very charming performer i've seen him many times and it's always a delight he's a he's really good to go see yeah and and some of the newer stuff that i don't know as well i really enjoyed and seeing him perform i probably should give it another try or maybe listen to it again because a lot of it sounded great you know and yeah, I've, um, I've made that mistake too. He, I think when he sings, he must sing super loud because he has the most clear audio of a singer I think I've ever heard. Like you could make out every word, and I think that's just maybe the, just the nature of his voice. But like you know, some it was it was a great show. Good, good, and we've seen him together. I think at least once, right? Yeah, we saw him probably gosh, two thousand one. Or two? Somewhere in Iowa or Nebraska or something? Yeah, I think it was Omaha, maybe. Okay. He was, there was not as many people at that show in 2001 as there was at this show. Yeah, yeah. I will tell you that much. I, and I doubt we paid as much for the ticket. I've had that experience a lot when I saw him in, like, the late 90s in Chicago a few times. There was hardly anybody there. And then it got packed real fast, which is great for him. Should have happened Yeah, sooner. absolutely. Yeah. He does, if there's anybody who deserves it, it's him. Yep. So... Yeah, anyways, go out and support music. Go buy some records. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Email us, highwayhifipodcast at gmail.com. If you can, go to iTunes and leave a review or a rating and just generally let us know what you think. We would love to have more people listening to this. Tell somebody, just tell one person every time. And we just would like to think that other people would want to hear this. Absolutely. I think um, shows like this with the with the song poems and stuff like that, I don't I just I think anybody who's remotely interested in music or people should just be into this sort of stuff. So we're hoping that we do a good job of of kind of presenting the information in kind of a fun, easy way to kind of digest and let you hear hear a little bit of, you know, fun clips and stuff. So it's kind of gets you interested about it. That's that's basically how we work. Whatever we get interested in, we kind of do a show on and it seems to seems to work well for us. Well, uh, we thank everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.